0: This honor and it's to be here, I almost feel like I'm at back at home. Because going to Cincinnati is literally almost like a, a second home. I've always felt welcome inside of the shul, in the community, and for those that take good care of my daughter and my grandson, especially, and the reshvel rokhayim, it's something that I very much appreciate, and I hope that. You enjoy them as much as I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I want to thank Rav Avram for giving me this great opportunity to speak to you. Mavis, I was not going to come in today, my wife uh, forbade me, but it's not the first time I went against my wife's wishes, <laughs> they say that a wife is an Asa kinegdoi, sometimes she's kinegdoi and sometimes, you know, you have to be fair balanced, so yes, it's kinegdoi. <coughs> I was not well over Shabbos, I'm still not so well. I was hoping that there would be a, a ear, and nose specialist here but I was told it wasn't, so mm. I tried. <coughs> but anyway, hopefully I can be behind you with uh, some Tiberi and Tiberi Bracha. Many years ago, some 34 years ago, I took my shear. wasn't in this room, but it was very similar to this room. something unheard of at least from Silver Spring, and I took them to New York. Just like your Rob has brought you to Silver Spring, uh, I took my Shia to New York. Not to the Yankees, not to the Mets, not to the uh, Rangers or the, the Knicks. We went to L'Havdu, we went to Rabar and And that year, it's my first year of teaching, the Yeshiva was much smaller than I. Yeshiva has, can I know, about 160 students. At that time, we had 57 students in the Yeshiva. And I took my shear of about 10 boys, maybe nine boys, almost all of them were out of towners, to Rabbi and Shechta. The headmaster of the Yeshiva, at that time, he was the Manal and also a rebbe Yeshiva, is Rabbi Yitzhak Merkin. And this was his Yeshiva. He learned in Chayyar Berlin. <laughs> so we had an inn with Rabbi and Shechta. I think it was the first time that I personally met Rebar Shachta, Very impressive individual. At that time, of he was gezunt. He was healthy a long, semi-white flowing beard. And I was told the rules and regulations of what you're allowed to do or not allowed to do inside of his office. How do you conduct yourself with Kavarat etc. And he asked the boys where they were from. And that year, I think I had... Uh, Eight or nine boys which were out of towners and two boys that were local. Not only that, they were from grades 9, 10, 11th, and 12th. So all those that were, let's just say, a little bit more challenging, was put in this rookie rebbe by the name of Rafael Mendel with is sheer. So after each one mentioned, he was from St. Louis, and he was from Virginia, and he was from Baltimore. Uh, we had a boy from California. We had two boys from New York. Rav said the following. He asked the boys, tell me, what is the most the thing that you have? What is the most important item that you have? the boys started thinking, what does the Sheshiva want? This one said money, and this person said family, and this person said his stocks, and this one. So each one came up with different answers. So he concluded, which he really wanted the boys to say, was family. Family, is your most beneficial commodity to have long term and short term. Of course, some of them rolled their eyes, guess they were typical teenagers. What's so special about family? <coughs> then he said, also money. Money is a very important thing to have. He says, When you leave your hometown to go learn Tyra, you're giving up the most precious item that you have. You're leaving your home from St. Louis. You're leaving your home from New York. You're leaving your home from New Jersey. To what? You're sacrificing your family. You're sacrificing your possessions, what you have or your team that you root for, to go learn Tyra? You know what your statement is? You're making a statement how hush of Tyra is because you're sacrificing something which is so dear to you in order to learn Tyra. And all the boys just started to glow. That's what he said. the inside That's what he Imoi. If a Talmud has to go into Golis, then his Rebbe has to go together with him in Golis. You know why? Because the Chiyas of the Talmud is dependent on the Rebbe. And the same is true. A Rebbe, if the Rebbe has to go to Golis, then the Talmudim I have to go with him as well into Gallus Have a good little mock in When Rabbi, Rabbi Weinreb called me up and asked if I would be able to speak, first of all, I, I heard that they see the pictures on the walls over there, the visit to this town, to this, this community. I felt so good because finally Silver Spring raided. You know that we, we are a community. I remember I was living here the first two years in Silver Spring, and then we get a knock on the door. Who's there? A Meshulach. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to my wife, Wow! Great! The Meshulach, I'm coming to Silver Spring! You know, we rate, We're finally on the map! So, number one, this, that, you come to the Silver Spring. Realize the greatness of what you have chosen on a day off. Everybody's making resolutions, and people are getting shikered or fast shikered, etc. And what was your decision? Your decision A was guided the How do I spend New Year's? Elu Look at you, How they spend New Year's, and look at the way the community of Cincinnati would be and How you spend your New Year's by leaving the things which are very choshev to you, your families, and you come to Machim Tyra to hear Tyra for years <laughs> and Osheshivus. Mr. Sravarin writes. From Moshe uh, Rabbeinu, the Pasik says, "Vayigdal Moshe." Moshe Rabbeinu became great. Vayetzel Achiv, he went out to his brothers. It says the Mishnah, "S'rabbar and Rabbar He says, "You know what the greatness of Moshe was? <coughs> the greatness of Moshe was that he was able to go and study and see his brothers, to learn from others, to go vayetzel, leave your comfort zone." and try to see how your brothers are dealing, how Klal Yisrael is dealing. And that's what I assume what this program is, each year to travel. But Yigdal, you want to have greatness. If you go out to your brothers, you go out to Klal Yisrael. I mentioned this to Rabbi Bulman, I hope, Amit Hashem, we should start doing the same thing. You know, you have a great program. All right, maybe you need some funding. And my, my, my kind told me it's not so expensive, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. But I think it's a fantastic idea, and a very, very choshev rov of thinking of this idea and spreading it to the kahila. You know, the first command that we find that Moshe has. What is the first commandment that, that Avraham Avinu has? You know, what the first commandment is yeah. Yeah. lech lecha. Go. Lech lecha. Avraham Avinu was told, "You want to be great. You want to spread greatness. Then lech lecha." then you have to go out. You can't just stay where you are in And so starts for the next 100 years A Ram is spreading and going. Not only does he learn from, but he spreads the light of HaKadosh Baruch beautiful HaTogis. I want to share with you a story that occurred with me in camp some uh, many years ago. So I have to remember what stories I said in the shul already or not, but I guess... Not everybody goes, at least not everybody <coughs> that I see here has always been at the, the, the drushes uh, between Minchamai and Vinumtif. Um so I, I, I take the liberty of saying it, and if you've heard it again, I apologize. But many years ago, I have a traveling camp, and we're, we're filling up. We have one boy from Cincinnati, if anybody wants to uh, enroll. We still have about 15 seats left. Uh, I take boys out west. I'm talking about the real west, like... Uh, uh, California, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Wyoming. We go to various national parks, but this is not a commercial for that, but just something to plant the seed. We were in uh, Utah, uh, Kanab, Utah, which is right outside of Zion National Park, and off far from Bryce National Park, which we go to. <coughs> anyway, I generally stop at the... Uh, front desk, and I always thank the, the host or the general manager who I try to speak to for the hospitality. And I went over to him and thanked him for having a hosting us over the evening. And he says to me the following. This is about 10 years ago. And he says to me, I want to tell you something. I gave up on America. I gave up on America. The immorality in the country, the conduct... Corruption, etc. We're done. We're finished. He says, and then I met your boys. I met fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old boys. He said, I want to tell you something. There's still hope. There's still hope for America. And he points to the bus and he says, Rabbi, remember and realize your responsibility on that bus you might be carrying the next president of the United States. That's Lech Lecha. That happens when you go out and you realize the importance of what it means to be a Jew, and what it means the responsibility of how we conduct ourselves, how we behave with Jews and non-Jews alike. We're Lech Lecha people. We travel, we go different places. But the way and what we conduct ourselves when we go to these places also leaves a mark. <clears throat> I want to share with you a thought that I heard from a Sacha friend, Many years ago, I used to bring my sheer to, to Baltimore on Thursday nights two or three times a year. He gives a share every Thursday night. It's it recorded all over. And he said... A thought that left a tremendous, tremendous ratio on myself. He threw out to the audience the following question. He asked, What is seemingly the most ridiculous rhetorical question that somebody asks in Judaism? The Yiddish guide. What is the most rhetorical, theoretical, ridiculous question that is asked? Not by all Jews, but by some Jews. And nobody knew what he was talking about. Does anybody know? You want to take a shot at it? We're what? Were you holding? Okay, that's a good question. By the way, a ridiculous question. I think that's a very fair question. You better have a good answer to it. Okay? <laughs> Sadigurado. <laughs> S- Sad the gorilla. Okay, good, that's that's not a ridiculous question. That's a big anyway is the question. S- that's a great question. I don't right. know if anyone has the answer yeah. to that one, right? You have to wait. Uh, How Uh for ele roll. A road, a All right, so I'm gonna tell you the question. I was gonna go out to pizza, you know, but ready me for What what is, what is lunch today? i want to know if it's good to to stay in a we'll <laughs> <laughs> That was the question. No, that was the question. <laughs> that's not ridiculous. <laughs> He said, "By the mitzvah opinion, haben. You ask a question. I was not zaychem; my oldest was a daughter. But those that have a son and they're not koyanim or they do the mitzvah opinion haben. So there you have the Kayan, and maybe you have the Bubbies and the zaidis, and the parents, and some others, the caterer, and, and they put all different gold pieces and watches on top of the baby. A little little nice yarmulke, or a little bonnet." And the Koyan turns to the father and says, Ma boy tfei. What do you want more? Litein bincha. Do you want, do you want to give to me the b'chayra? Or do you want boi s'lofto y'sai chamesh Do you want that I should keep your son? Or would you like to redeem him with five slime I've never done a survey, but I could assume 99.9% of the time the father says I'll take the kid. Hi. That 1% is, you know, my father's always to say about me, Rafal, you, you should be happy you weren't a <laughs> But Anyway, so there are those, there are those. Okay, but my boy is Tvei, what do you want more? Do you want the son? Do you want your son? Or do you want the Chamesh Salon? What type of question is that? It's such a strange, strange question that we should ask a father who just was zayichet. I remember, this is, he's not having his 17th son. Maybe when he had 17 other children before, he made three chassidahs, he's in debt. He doesn't know how he's gonna make it with this one. i bit forget about filling in the other, bits. Oh how he's gonna handle it. Okay, then you can ask my boys. I, I can understand this Shiloh. This is someone who had no children this is his first child, fallen, knows? he can be married 10 years, he can marry married for 5 years, whatever it is, then finally he's like to have a child, and you're going to say to him, you know, his wife might be sitting here, my boy is Tvei, what's the Shiloh? So Rabbi Fran quoted from Rabbi Zatzal, the fantastic answer. And you know what he said? He said, that question is the most common question that we should be asking ourselves every single day. Because it's not just a question of Pinyin HaBen versus the Chamesh Sloyim. It's a question of Ruchni versus Gashmi. It's a question of what is more important to you? The money or your children? Not just your children, the money or the mitzvah of Pinyin HaBen. What do you machshev more? What do you tell yourself is more important? How do you conduct yourself in life? Is ruchni something that's more dominant and more important to you? Or is it the big buck? Or is it the money that you earn? And that's a question that we have every single day in our life. Answering this challenge. To be b'yicha, to choose. Ruchni versus gashmi. Eilam Hazer versus Eilam Habar. I handed out to you a, a, a uh, essay from Rev Hirsch. I don't have time to go through the whole thing with you, but please keep it with you. You've on the plane and you want to read it. It's found in Tishrei, in the writings, collective writings of Rev Hirsch. But I'm going to just quote to you on the bottom paragraph of page 107. Just to refresh your memory, a Yom Kippur, perhaps the most moving part of the Yom Kippur service, is Tvilas Musaf. And there we have the Shnei Si'ir, and there you have the two goats. One is going to be Nekrav Bashem, and the other one is going to go down the mountain of Tula Azazel. And the halakhas are that these sheep, these goats. I'm sorry, are exactly the same. They're the same in value. They're the same in appearance. They're the same in weight. They are exactly the same, just one goes laShem, and one goes laZazel. And he says the following: Both Seirim are placed at the entrance. This is the bottom paragraph on page one o seven. If you want to follow, both Seirim are placed at the entrance of the sanctuary. The heads of both of them are turned to the Kodesh hakadosh the Holy of Holies. Both of them stand on the northern side of the K'mizbech, upon which the holiest, holy offerings are performed. Both animals are identical in appearance, size, and worth. Both are acquired uh, for the sanctuary at the same time, and yet have different their fate. In front of them stands an urn, the Kafakopi, containing two lots, both of the same size, made of the same material, <coughs> one of these lots, Allah Hashem, and the other is L'azazel. The kind Godless steps up to the animals, reaches into the urn, and draws for one animal the lot L'ashem, and the other lot L'azazel. And so these two animals stand together at the same spot, face in the same direction, on identical in every respect, but how diametrically opposed are their destinies? The animal marked L'ashem will become an offering. Its blood immediately assumes a symbolic role of atonement and consecration. It is received in the vessel of the sanctuary and is born into the Holy of Holies. There in the Holy of Holies, before the Ark, into the Ured, its symbolic is consecrated by being sprinkled toward it, and then toward the curtain, the periches, and toward the mezbeach. The animal Azazel, on the other hand, does not meet its death as an atonement. It remains alive and intact, as the Pusik says, Yamud Chai. It remains standing erect, untouched, while its companion is being offered as a korban. Yamud Chai, however, its ish, 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 ish Iti, the man of its fate, has been prepared for it in advance. When atonement of its companion, which died as an offering, has been completed, the animal that has not become an offering is turned over intact in the fullness of life to the man who leads it away from the sanctuary into the open, to a high rock. It thinks it has the best life. It sees its brother, it sees its companion, it's been sacrificed, but in itself, it's having the best of its life. There it stands alive, free, and erect, and then suddenly it topples backwards. It hurdles down the mountain behind it, of which it was not aware. These are the symbols of the two paths between which we are to choose. It's eloquent, solemn, and forceful reclamation of the great principle of which the whole law of God and our own consecration stands and falls, namely the principle of Bechira. As we said, when a child is born a Bechir, what do you choose? Do you choose the Chamesh Slaim or do you choose the Bechir? The path Mashem, begins with self-sacrifice, he who chooses it will advocate to all egoism. He must renounce all his self-centered existence. He must be ready to sacrifice himself to God and to the sanctuary of his law. What appears to be loss of self is in fact an entry into a higher, more genuine form of existence. And this is what pretty much he says, if we turn on the other page, the path lazazo begins with an apparent preservation and independence. <coughs> he stubbornly rejects all notions of sacrifice and devotion. He anxiously avoids any possibility of loss or death. And then what happens ultimately? He falls down the cliff to the abyss. And by the this is what life is all about. This is what Rev. Avram has done with each one of you over here. You travel, you leave on New Year's Eve, a day, whatever today is, Rosh Hashanah, whatever, it was time I share the difference between look at our Rosh Hashanah and look at the Havda, what they're going to do on our Rosh Hashanah. They you the she is him that say he's supposed to fast on Rosh Hashanah, but when Davenim come out the whole day, three, four, till three o'clock in the afternoon, and then we have a suda, there's the Kiyoshaif, there's a month of Achanah beforehand. here, comes New Year's, it's it's a day of Mamash Hefkerus. If, if you could have tried to imagine what the Baal must have been, this is closest thing to the Baal. Fashik drinking drinking, drinking, 12 o'clock to watch a ball fall down. It is beyond, beyond imagination. This is what the whole world does with fireworks. And, and then we make resolutions, we make kabbalas. It's it's Mamash what Rav over here is saying. Person has choices in life what to make. <coughs> So, I want to talk to you a little practical. You know, today you all took off, and it's fantastic. I want to share with you a Kedusha Slavi. The Kadusha Slavi says, in Pasha's, I think it's boy, Kadusha <coughs> Slavi, says the Kedusha Slavi, when it comes to any Bukhar, any first, you know what you should do? Kadusha Sanctify the first. Kaddishli kol b'chor. The first thing, whenever something's a first, we're starting out a secular new year, look what you did. You were Kaddishli. You sanctified that first. Good, it's not our Rosh Hashanah, Halilah. But it's a tremendous statement. But it comes up so often in our lives. I made a Kabbalah. One time I was listening to a shmooz from Atis um, it must have been at least 10 years ago. And Ramat said that, you know, when, when you wake up in the morning, often you want to try to catch up on the news. Ramat said, in Shemuz, he said, that first thing in the morning, keep your mind focused on David Focus on Tefillah Don't listen to news the first thing morning. Don't, say don't listen to news at all. First thing in the morning, don't. And I made a Kabbalah. At that time, and I haven't listened over 10 years to the news, and I'm a news freak. <laughs> I haven't listened to the news. First thing in the morning, I don't. But there's something else that I, I did do, and I made the of this Hanukkah, after I saw this Kedusha Slevi. you have to wake up in the morning, so you have to check your email. And I don't to the news, but at least you check my email. See, if anything came in, take your phone, and you start checking. And I said, Kaddish, Kaddish, my phone does wake me up. But I don't have to look for right? The first thing in my email, the first thing you do, you wake up. If you say my wife's name is I say Ma'ida The first thing you do, you in the morning, in that order. But don't get the don't get the email. And it's very hard. It's a very hard thing to be mekadeshly kol bechor to be on yourself. Whatever is a first, you have hero. You have that choice. You have the choice of the the chamesh we have the choice of the Bechir, that's the Bechir that we have. <clears throat> I know someone over here in Silver Spring, there was a boy that was struggling very hard and he did, desperately needed a tutor. <clears throat> and I spoke to the father, and he asked the father, you know, we could get him someone over here from the Kelo that would be able to offer what it's gonna cost, you know, somebody for tutoring. So he said to me, how much I told him I he charges $50 an hour which is much less than a psychologist but he said um, I don't think we could do it I said $50 twice a week it's $100 I said for your son to be put on the right track inside of this year he said you know not we just made a renovation in our home we just put in a new kitchen and I have big expenses to pay for that and I said to myself "Shem." Hashem Seachon L'Azazam I said to myself, chamesh sloyim versus the bachar. That's a decision. Do I put my money where it's a sacrifice that I won't have maybe the nicest kitchen, but my son will have a proper chinuch? Or do I say no? I'm going to put the kitchen in, but I'm not going to have money for my son's tutor. There's someone over here again in the community, a Russian woman, so went toward her son. Listen to this. She was working at that time, this goes back many years ago, she was working at that time with a, um, as as a house, she was was a maid inside a house and she babysat as well. And her son was coming to the yeshiva, this is in the early 90s, they had a lot of Russians that came to Silver Spring. And she once told me that she made the chazmin. Her son was basically here at the yeshiva free on tuition. But she told me that whatever money she had, extra, she would give towards the yeshiva. She made a husband she used to take a taxi from her apartments, which was about four miles, three miles from, the, from her house to the house that she, uh, that she babysat and she took care of other things in the house. And she used to pay something like $10 a day for that taxi there and back. And she said, you know what? I could walk the three and a half miles there and back and save myself $20 a day, a day, and give therefore to the yeshiva an extra $150 of how. What's $150 a khadish? For yeshiva, it's nothing. It's nothing. But you know what a statement, you know what a statement that is? She's choosing the bachar over the chamesh slime. That's called bachira. That's making a choice. This person can't go out and afford a kitchen. He could afford a kitchen, but he can't afford a tour. This person over here can't afford anything, as willing to walk three miles to save money, which <coughs> he can pay a little bit of would. which really doesn't even make a dent. But believe me, it made a dent, because that person's son today, he was learning Yom Nekayla until about a year ago. Today he's learning to L- move Yisrael. This person's son was sitting in Shigia, a tremendous, tremendous, mysterious nefesh from his mother. I want to just share with you one last Nakuda, and then I'm sure you have other things to do today. Um, Pesach says, the the Sasha was having a battle with the Sasha Yakish and that the Sasha Yavu a battle against Yaki and So the, the Pesach says, The Sasha Leisab saw that he was not being victorious over Yaakov so he went down and he clocked and he touched the Kaf Yeruch Yaakov says the yiga. the word B'yiga is gematria to the word 89 which is also gematria to the word Hanukkah says the Beneshchai there's a way that Esau has in a way to break into Yaakov and you know how he does that? Va'yiga, he tries to show his values. He tries to touch Yaakov and Vinu This is more important, and with that, he can bring down Yaakov or Yaakov's kaf his descendants. That's what we're talking about. I sell Abominim I used to provide for Cincinnati through Chaim. I don't know he might have taken a sabbatical or not. I want to share with you a, two stories of Abominim and that will conclude. Story number one, it's a story that took place over here in Silver Spring, that is a Talmud of mine, comes there of Yom, right before Sukkot, and, you know, it's hectic, wherever you are, building Sukkot, getting, acquiring Abba Minim, etc., the wives are all busy cooking, cleaning the house, it's not Pesach, but it's still Sukkot, the children, the grandchildren, the o'clock everybody's coming, it's a Thomas. Two days before Sukkot, we have our sale over here. And one of my talmidim, he comes to get with his wife to buy the arba Now I will tell you again. I don't know if it's Cincinnati, but here in Silver Spring, many women do buy arba I can tell you a lot of funny stories, which we don't have enough time right now. But next time i speak <laughs> in Cincinnati, maybe not those funny stories. But uh, of different sales. You know, many women—they have no, they are buying it whether they say they're divorced or they're buying it because the husband's unable to come. Again, he's chosen the Khamesh slim, so he sent his wife to do the opinion of the Buchar. But whatever the is, and then there are women that like the mitzvah also, but to get a peer, a husband, a wife, Erev, yontif, and they had children—it's it, a, a rarity. So here, the husband, wife to come and suddenly the meet him. And she asked me many questions about that. But I mean, she wants to know what's the difference between this SR again, that answer again, this little, et cetera, et cetera. Why is the price like this? And why is the price like that, et cetera? And after that shows, I, I helped them choose what they what they wanted and I explained to them what it was, I asked yes, them, I said, you know, it's a little surprising that a husband and wife should come. It's two days before Yomteh. Both of you should be here. And they were there for more than an hour. I mean, that, That's a long time. This is what the there. wife said. What? The in-laws were there. <laughs> That's in-laws were <laughs> there. Good, good. Good, me? Lula. Um, <laughs> so she told me the following. She said to me, we have a rule in our house. And the rule in the house is like this. When I buy my jewelry, my husband comes along with me. When he buys his jewelry, I come along with him. These are people that understand it's the bachar, versus the Chamesh Slayim. It's the Sel HaShem versus the Sel HaSazel. There's another individual who almost every year this happens just with a different line. He happens to be a doctor, a very, very comfortable doctor. And he almost almost always comes all the way at the end, like 10 minutes before the sale is over, he comes running in and each time he has a different line. Like, I don't know, he must think that I forget from year to year. One year he comes running in, out of breath, we're already closing up the, the sale, and he says to me, I'd like to buy the Nebuchadnezzar. I asked him, what, what, I, I, know, I know what the uh, is, I know what a Bedazzzar is, I know. I, I said, what's, what, what, what's, what's a Nebuchadnezzar? He says, The Esser that nobody wants to buy, that's the one I want to buy. It's a nice way to say, I want the cheapest, cheapest Esrit, but you know, in a humorous way that he could look, save face for himself, he's a doctor, he's a buying the Nebuchadnezzar, so he's a big bar Musa, so you know, he wants to buy the Nebuchadnezzar, that's what he wants. That's a person that understands, mind you, he drives, I forgot what it's called, the Lamborghini, the one with the doors that come up, is that the Lamborghini? That's what he drives, okay? So he, we're talking about a person, he wants the Nebuchadnezzar, but he doesn't have a Nebuchadnezzar car. I remember Rav David once, once spoke in, in Shir, and Rav David said that you know, people make chayzik are brisk, you know, the are machmed on the shreigim, they're so on mitzvahs, et cetera. He says, when was the last time anyone bought furniture for their son-in-laws in a closed box? <laughs> you, know, you buy closed boxes, of you go know, there's a set surprise, etc. When it comes to furniture, it comes to cars, people don't buy closed box. They check every single detail. It comes to a mitzvah, that's the Bechira, Rabbi So I want to wish you all tremendous, tremendous atslaha. I know that you came here for, for a great opportunity to have this chus, to just you can cup a cup next time to talk to Rabbi Lachiansky. The man is a giant of giants, literally and figurative. Yeah. Um, you can speak to him, but I'm sure whatever he's going to be you, you'll have tremendous Hanoi for Rabbi Rangel, the Psaqa loka and the it's Hashem, you should just be Ma'ala, the Kaim Lech lecha, together with the Rav following the need of Rav Ram Avinu, Lech lecha, to go out to communities, see from them, gain from them, and be Matzliach. <laughs>